You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're in my world now, Grandma. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, if you didn't know that there wasn't a podcast yesterday and that I would be making up for it today, I gotta change that intro. I forget, and then it makes me crazy, but I've already spent several hours getting prepared for this, and we need to keep moving. Everything's fine. If you did not know that there wasn't a podcast yesterday and that I would be making up for it today, it's because you are not a member of the page. That's not how that works, but I, you know, couldn't say like after you are not. You are not like the page. So make sure, I did that on purpose, I, I started there and I'm like, I gotta put it here, and then I gotta put it in the group, and then I gotta try to find every, no, 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 my job isn't to find you, you want the information, it's in the page, that's how it works. I'm probably still gonna do that once in a while because I wanna make sure everybody knows, because I, maybe I care a little bit, I don't know, but if ever I don't, and I want to just put it out where I say I'm going to put it, it's going to the Facebook page. That's where it goes. So if you want updates, if you want to know what's going on, if there's not a podcast, whatever, make sure you like the Packing a Podcast Facebook page. Thank you very much. Also, big shoutskies to Cole Johnson for hitting me up on Venmo. Very, very much appreciated, my man. Almost 9,000% sure I've already said thank you to Daryl Wessner for the same reason. But just in case I didn't, thanks again. Definitely appreciate all the support. Um, so, been very busy. Uh, yesterday, I was supposed to do what I did this morning, but I thought the family was gone. I'm going to take advantage of this time and do a video update. I started a second-ish YouTube channel where I can just put kind of a behind-the-scenes, you know, come-along-with-me-for-the-ride kind of deal um, on a separate YouTube channel for those that are interested. So I did that update, took almost the entire night or at least whatever time I had available. Um, and that is basically done. It's not very well produced. It's just, uh, you know, I don't want to put more time in than is really necessary for my 11 subscribers. But anyways, if you are interested in any of that, sort of a behind-the-scenes, what I went through in my second video, this pat- this next one coming up, that will be probably by the time you listen to this. Um, first of all, a little shot of my studio, if you want to call it that. And then just kind of walking through what I do how the podcast works, what I'm working on, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And um, I don't really have anything in the pipeline as far as changes or growth. There are a couple changes I mentioned to you that are coming in that video. For example, um, my favorite thing to do on this podcast now, which is to find those cool intros, is probably going to be going away pretty soon. 
I uh, more or less explained that there. But anyways, if you're interested, I'll post a link either in the Facebook group, probably Facebook group and Twitter. I want to give you the opportunity to find that if you're interested. Otherwise, just reach out and say, hey, I'm curious, and I'll send you a link. Um, 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 um. And then today, after I get done with this podcast, I have eight YouTube videos for my main YouTube channel, which is Pack Daddy NFL, and I need to get eight of them done by this morning and tomorrow. So really, really, really got to uh, get to work here. But I would encourage you to check that out. Um, the videos are essentially going to be another one like this, so it's kind of redundant. It's just going to be in video form. We're going to be looking at training camp day number five, I think. I believe that's the one that was on Thursday. But then I've got seven videos lined up. And what I did is I put my PFF subscription for college to use. And I also want to do this for our current players. I've got a couple different things I want to kind of go back and look at some rookies, maybe some of our current players, to look at some of the college uh, info, some of the more advanced stats and whatnot. Um, But it's basically top 10 at every position, and these videos are offense. So quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, running back, tackle, guard, and center. There you go. And then next week, or the week after this upcoming one, will be defense. So very excited. If you're curious about some of the college football prospects, um, it's just sort of a top 10 list, as well as some pretty in-depth stats that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else, because nobody except PFF, me, and people that pay for that nonsense, which is mostly just me, um, have. So again, Pack Daddy NFL is where you can find that. Otherwise, let's, uh, let's just take a break and talk about training camp and whatnot. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
So first of all, general news and notes type stuff. The Packers are back in pads today. Um, the day before, as I mentioned, was half pads, half not pads. Uh, the practice was also inside Lambeau Field, so that was kind of cool. They were pumping in music, or, or not music, it was fan noise. It, from the video that people were taking that I could hear, it sounded just like, just, I don't know, noise? Like throwing pots and pans downstairs on loop. It just, it was grueling and horrible. Um, some of the player updates, Devontae Adams and Zadarius were there, but not in helmets and whatnot. Uh, Adrian Amos and Montrevious were not present. Amos, I believe we came to find out, uh, went back for his grandmother's funeral. So, um, all the best to him and his family. Uh, Puplis still, Bolton, Roberts, and Nijman, and then Stepniak and Taylor, uh, were also out. That's Patrick Taylor, not Lane Taylor, or Malik Taylor for that matter. Um, Corey Lindsley was also not out early, but he did come out. Uh, during one-on-ones and was on the sideline. Then he came in for team practices, seemed to be okay. Uh, There were a couple scares as far as injuries during uh, camp. David Bakhtiari once again seemed to get hurt, walked to the sideline, but he didn't even talk to a trainer. So again, it really just seems like it's high concern with him, right? The coaches basically told him, if you get so much as like a twinge, just walk off the field. Like this, we're not messing with this. Uh, Rick Wagner, however, did look at... um, did talk to a trainer. It seemed to be a left arm injury. He did go back to the locker room. Matt LaFleur said that the injuries to Zadarius and Devontae are not serious. They'll be back soon. Practice was close to two hours, hour and 54 minutes. Uh, a couple other little notes. A.J. Dillon talked about. So at the end of the hour 54, and this is something Matt LaFleur has done consistently, which is obviously a very smart thing, but he excuses the veterans initially. Then he keeps the young guys, and I, I believe media has to leave at that, or probably chooses to because I think they immediately bolt over to the interview section. But the young guys hang back and uh, continue practice. A.J. Dillon has talked about how beneficial that's been. And it kind of makes sense. So, for example, the exact quote or the tweet here says, Dillon said the additional time that LaFleur has been reserving for less experienced players has allowed him to, quote, run through something I wasn't so sure earlier and, quote, eliminate the guessing yourself. It kind of makes sense when you think about the context of school. Now, for those of you that went to school that, like, raise their hand all the time for every answer or whatever, this doesn't apply to you. But for the introverted people like me who are never going to be caught dead asking a question if I don't understand it because I just don't care about that, it's not that important to me to be putting myself out there in front of class and tell everyone I'm too stupid to understand. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell myself, we'll go home, we'll figure it out. And then you go home and you don't even look at the book and play video games and then you fall behind in class and it's a whole thing. However... Let's just say the teachers were randomly keeping people behind, and I happened to be one of them, and they were like, hey, do you guys have any questions? That would be an opportune time, or let's just say if it was just me, like a private tutoring session. That would be the time I'd bring up all this stuff I don't understand, and then would, you know, understand it. So that's kind of what this is, right? Right. When they're out with practice, there's not a lot of time to be babying and coddling people that don't understand. It's understand and go do. But when everybody that's being held back are the rookies that don't know what they're doing, it's a great time to kind of just run through, okay, so we just went through practice. How did it go? What did you get? What did you not get? So, again, really really smart, and I would hope that he continues this, and it's not just a COVID thing because we're trying to get everyone caught up. This is just a really good idea in general. Um, the controversy about the uh, reporting and whatnot, Brian Gutekunst essentially came out and said that was my decision, decided it was a good decision based on, uh, you know, it gives us a competitive advantage. But again, Right or wrong, his job is to win. He saw an opportunity to take advantage of a loophole, and he did it, right? 
I mean, if it was a different context, we saw what uh, Bill Belichick did that was at loop. I forget exactly what it was, but it was a way to basically burn out the whole clock at the end of the game. Like by, oh, oh, it was a penalty. It was with penalties. That's what it was. He would have someone like jump off sides. And I think the first time the stop clock, the, the clock stops, but after that, the clock just runs. So they're just taking penalties. It's repeat the down. So you don't lose a down, you're just losing yardage, but it's at the end of the game and you're punting anyway, so why do you care? So that was a, a rule loophole that he took advantage of to give him a... It's it's like legal cheating, right? It's it's an unfair advantage that you're taking advantage of. Same with, like I talked about before, building stadiums so that it holds in noise, so that it's more... so that it's louder. It's not against the rules, and, and when you build a stadium, that should be a main focus. How do we make this as loud as possible? It's unfair, but... It's just, it is what it is. So from my perspective, you know, right or wrong, what what we should do moving forward, fine. But his job is to win football games. This is a chance for him to do so, and he did it. So I don't know that he's doing the wrong thing from his perspective. Again, it comes down to do you want to win or do you want to do what's best for your fans? And you can follow either way you want on that. I'm not saying one is necessarily right or wrong, but he does get paid to win football games. And this is an opportunity for him to do that. So I can at the very least understand why it would make sense for him. And then uh, a lot of the reporters were, were shocked and appalled that um, Gutekunst turned around and admitted, quote-unquote admitted, that they do use other reporters' um, information to base their information off of. However, that's kind of implied when he says it gives him a competitive advantage to not put it out there. Because if teams aren't doing that, why is it a competitive advantage? I feel like if people just had the ability to process information just a little bit, they wouldn't be shocked and appalled at things like that. It's implied. Of course they're reading your information. That's why it's a competitive advantage to not let you do it. Because teams do that. I I mean, come on, man. And then the ultimate annoyance for me was at one point uh, Mr. Tom Silverstein, who I'm beginning to appreciate because he's the ultimate cynic, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it was it's kind of funny, and I, I in a sense, I kind of like. But he had a snarky tweet about, you know, teams and, you know, Brian Gutekunst and stuff, they base information off of what, what we write, so so much for us not knowing what we're talking about. Dude, it has nothing to do with your insights, because your insights, as well as my insights, are basically just our best guess at what the teams are trying to do. It's not because we know anything. Coaches aren't learning from us. Although, based on a couple interviews, eh, maybe. Maybe maybe they're learning from me. That's all. I, you know, we'll get to that. I don't know. But the point is, you write down basic information. This player did this, and then we steal that information. It's not about your, your, your big brain. It's that you write down what you see like a trained monkey... And teams steal your information to get a competitive advantage. Just, I mean, come on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with bragging. I'm about to do it today. Looking forward to it, actually. You get something right. You do something awesome. Tell everybody how awesome it was. But don't brag about stupid stuff. Come on, Tom. But um, anyway, let's... I don't know if I want to skip ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Since I'm a little amped up and talking about braggy stuff, let's get this out of the way and then we'll just go through the note. The, uh, there were two things that came up that make me very, very excited. Mostly because it's just stuff that I've been saying for a long time. Not just because it's, it's vindication of what I've said, although it is that. But because I've been saying it because I think it's a very, very good idea, and now that they're doing it, it makes me happy. It kind of makes sense, right? It lines up. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. Seems to be the right thing to me. Um, the one is, is just kind of the, to that effect, but it's more vindication of what I've been saying. I've, I've talked about how 
first of all, sacks are useless. The, it, it's very much like interceptions. It's very fleeting. Any any statistic that over the course of an entire season, we're talking about single digits compared to double digits, right? Kevin King had a really good year with five interceptions. Come on. Sacks, like if you get 10, that's a good year. It's way too fleeting. And so what I've told you on this program over and over and over again is that what I care about is pressure percentage. It's something that I use from PFF. It's very, very simple. It's looking at pressures compared to how many snaps you get. PFF doesn't do that, but I created that metric myself because it makes the most sense. It's simply how many pressures did you get divided by how many pass rush reps you had. In other words, how many times when you were given the opportunity to get to the quarterback did you get to the quarterback? And I've created that metric. That's the metric I use to you to determine who is a good or not good pass rusher. I've told you several times that 10% is kind of the baseline. Anything below that, you're garbage. 10%, okay, not bad. 12 to 13 is when you're getting into the pretty good, decent category, right? That's that's Kenny Clark. And then you look at Zedarius, right? 17%, he basically led the NFL. I've been pounding that home for a very long time and, and over-explaining why I use the metric and, and why I think it's important. Because a lot of people think that my rankings and whatnot are garbage. When I say Zadarius had a better season than Khalil, people flip out. Not Packer fans, but this is why people don't understand and want to give Zadarius credit. Well, you know, it's also, by the way, why people give Preston a little bit too much credit, because he had a lot of sacks. It's why I've been saying I expect regression from him. A lot of sacks, but his pressure percentage is not incredibly high. It's also wildly out of, of the realm of what we expect from him. Granted, it is for Zadarius as well, but Anyways, well, I just want to play for you a little bit of a tirade that Mike Mike Smith went on, that if I had done what I said I was going to do, which is to transcribe all my podcasts, I think this weekend I'm going to find a way to do that. I think I'm just going to pay my daughter to do it. But anyways, I'm positive I could go back and find almost a a, a word-for-word verbatim rant that I've done on this podcast. Here is Mike Smith, the Packers outside linebacker coach, talking about not just why sacks are useless, but why pressure percentage is the best way to judge pass rush. I don't know what happened. A long time ago, somebody, you know, this is probably when I started recording sacks or or some, you know, fans, coaches, whoever it may be, um, defined a, a great pass rusher, having a great season, um, or effective pass rusher off of sacks. And that's the one of the, I hate to use the word stupid, the stupidest things I've ever seen. You define a great pass rusher, uh, you know, by consistency. You know, I got, you know, somebody came to my office earlier, and I'm sorry I'm kind of worked up on this, but I'm sitting there, we were talking about it, and I said, right, you take player A, okay? You take player A, and he had 13 sacks. Then you take player, we'll take player Z, we'll take regular season. He had 13 and a half. Who did you say is, is a better rusher? Well, you say they're both pretty consistent. They're probably about the same, okay? So then you take player A, that had 57 pressures on the year, then you take, or 58, don't matter, then you take player Z that over 100. Now who would you take? You kind of start thinking about that. Then you throw in, then what's important is you look at the snaps. If a a guy had, you know, where Harold Landry had 670-something, right? And and Preston had 450, somewhere around there. And and Harold had a good year, and Chandler Jones had a great year, 600-something, but that's 200 more rushes. So that's why you have to look how they are affecting the quarterback. When they're in the game, are they affecting the quarterback with the with the pressures? The because sacks are important. Don't get me wrong. People think I don't care about sacks. They just can't believe that. That's the only way to be successful because you're going to have a disappointing room. But when you look at the total number of, of pressures, and you look at, um, you know his snaps, okay, and then you and you see kind of the the, the pressure percentage. Z led the NFL. You know, Preston wasn't far behind. He's top ten. 
that that tells you you're affecting the quarterback, that you're doing your job, and you're not worried about for whatever reason. Some people think if you don't have double digit sacks, you got a bad year. I mean, I can't remember this was like halfway through the year last year, and it was Von Miller, and and they're you know his interview with him, and he's he's down. I, I got to get my sacks up. Von Miller finished the year with 83 pressures. He only had eight sacks. 83 pressures. There's only six people in the league that had 80 pressures. Two had 90 and two had 100. That's an unbelievable year. If Z only had nine sacks last year, but 100 pressures, would, would he have a bad year? So, you know, I mean, sorry to go on a, on a rampage with that, but um, that's that's the things that, that you got to sell to your room. As a side note, I've also gone on several rants about how Von Miller is – you want to talk about the most underrated pass rusher in football, it's Von Miller. He's he's I, I, I think right now if you were to say who is the best – pass rusher you know who if you look back over history of who are current players does that make sense which current players have had the best careers as pass rushers most would probably say Khalil I think I would say Von Miller you would hear Chandler Jones you would I, I don't think anybody would I would absolutely Khalil's a maybe maybe another option but Von Miller and nobody else would say that the guy is is ridiculous how good he is nobody talks about him but anyways, it was it was just it's just good to hear it because sometimes I feel like I'm screaming it and I'm the only one and I'm a crazy person. So to have Mike Smith, who is I recently have said is, and I never know if, whether it's a podcast or a, a YouTube video anymore. I think it was on the podcast. How incredibly awesome this hire is, and it's also why I'm excited about our new DB code because I think it's a similar thing. You've you've got somebody like Mike Smith, who had one of the most amazing transformations at at pass rush. He's he's basically two years in a row. Done, done. I mean, I, I don't know. He's he, either he's the luckiest person in the world, or he's a football genius, and we're about to lose him to a job pretty soon. He's going to be a defensive coordinator somewhere, and that's going to make me cry. But to reiterate, Mike Smith was a, I think he was an inside linebacker coach or something, and they they rearranged things over at the Chiefs, and I think they split things up. So one of the guys became the inside linebacker coach. Mike Smith became the outside linebacker coach. And you had over there in Kansas City, D. Ford, who was a draft bust. He was useless. He was Everybody said it was no good anymore. And you had Justin Houston, who had a great career, but clear was, clearly was on the downswing, wasn't very productive anymore. So you had two guys that weren't worth anything. The year that he took over, that was the number one pass rush duo in football. Then he comes over to Green Bay and basically does the same thing over, all over again. I don't know if that was the best pass rush duo in football, but it, if it wasn't, it was very close. And Zadarius went from being a promising you know, player who's pretty talented to arguably the best pass rusher in 2019. So to have him say it, even though it's, it's pretty straightforward and obvious, I'm, I'm not saying it because it's a guess. I'm saying it because it's just it's factual. It's just nice to have him have my back. That's all I'm saying. And then there was a quote, I believe, from Mike Pettin. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. But, um, again, reiterating what I've been begging for for a long time. Actually, I bet it was the, the DB coach. Anyways, the crux of it was for Josh Jackson that they're seeing some progress in that they're, they're allowing him to play just one position, and they think it's important to just put him somewhere and keep him there. Actually, I retweeted it, so I found it. Uh, this is from Ryan Wood. Uh, his tweet says, Mike Pettin thinks narrowing Josh Jackson's workload has helped him play more consistently. Only playing perimeter, not slot, unlike before. I, I've, I've literally, I, I don't think you can find a quote of me talking about Josh Jackson and not saying that. Here's the, the dope sheet. If you want to hear what I've been saying about Josh Jackson for a long time, this is it. 
Very, very talented, but did not play very much in college. So he's he's already kind of raw, similar to Jay Sternberger, right? Talented, but he didn't play very much. So he's, he's got to take some time to develop just as a player in general because he doesn't even have a lot of college experience. Outside of that, he played zone. So not only is he raw as a player in general, but he has to learn a whole new scheme and learn to play man. Then he comes to Green Bay. He doesn't get a lot of opportunities because he's buried behind King, Jair, and Tremont. So he doesn't get that many opportunities to learn, especially in game time decisions. And when he's out on the field, you look at his snaps, he's playing outside, he's playing in the slot, he's playing linebacker, and he's playing safety. That doesn't make any sense. And I get that he's got the versatility to be able to do it, you know, as far as, far as being a bigger and physical guy. And also, we need to find a spot for him, but it's not helping him develop. He needs to be able to develop, and at this rate, he's never going to be able to. He doesn't have opportunities, and he's playing four different positions at once. He needs to be put in one spot, pick one that you think he's going to be best at, put him there, and let him play there. So again, very good to hear Mike Patton come out and say that they have decided this is what we're doing, and it reiterates my belief that he can still be a good player for the Green Bay Packers. I, I said he could be a breakout candidate, but this is going to be one important thing. He needs to have the opportunities. Tremont not being here means he's going to have opportunities. He's still the number four with Chandon seem to be, seeming to be locked in in the slot, but I'm excited about the prospect of him being able to actually learn and grow because, you know, as a second-round pick who is considered a first-round prospect, he's got a lot of upside. So that was my brag of the day. Very rarely do my uh, crazy rants get vindicated, and to have two coaches vindicate rants that I've been having for years feels good. Anyways, on to the the notes. Um, as far as the quarterbacks go, the, the offense seems to be much more clunky than the defense, outside of a couple things that, that have been pretty solid here and there. But it got to the point that Aaron Rodgers is actually getting visibly frustrated couple notes, Rodgers has not been happy with the play of the offense today. Can't connect with Lazard after it looked like he may have stopped on the route a bit. Next note says, number one stall on first two-minute drive. Rodgers missed Lazard down the middle on fourth and five and appeared angry with him for something. Now, sometimes it could end up being the same thing, but generally they're so far spaced out that I assume they're different plays, but I guess I don't know. Um, the, other, the only other interesting note that I saw was that Aaron Rodgers is currently not using a wristband, so they're, you know trying to kind of continue getting up to speed on, on how to do things without having to use that. Says there was only one apparent issue that they saw where it looked like Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, had to call in the play. Uh, Jordan Love still kind of swimming a little bit. There was a note that he had fumbled a snap in his 11-on-11. Uh, 11 11. It, it is kind of interesting to me, though, when you look at the struggles that he's having, and they're understandable struggles. They're common struggles. But you think about teams that are struggling at quarterback, they go out and draft a quarterback and just throw him in. And how ridiculously unfair that is to the quarterback. Uh, there was there was a clip of Herbert talking to Balaga that was circulating around because obviously it's Balaga and Packer fans are excited about. It. But Justin Herbert doesn't understand how cadence works. Cadence, because in college he claps his hands and somebody throws him a football. I mean, just just basic stuff like that, where really basic, you know, how to tell the, you know, how to grunt a noise at your center so that he snaps the ball and that the offensive line gets off in rhythm. Such little stuff like that. And again, J Jordan Love working on footwork and, and things that seem basic, but really aren't. And you have to be able to to, to have that down so well that you're not thinking about it. Because if you, have, if you have to think about your cadence and think about your footwork, you're going to be a really bad quarterback. So again, very good that we have, we're, we're giving him time to develop. These are all obviously things that will come with time, but uh, you could see why if you put him in 
you know, week one, it would be an absolute disaster, and there's no question about it. I, I hope that he develops into a very good quarterback. I've done videos on why I think he has a lot of upside, but, I mean, there's no question at this point. Now, granted, there was a note a couple days ago, I forget who it was, uh, I don't know, but it, it was a, maybe Vernon Scott? the safety but the, the point is he didn't really know what he was doing but once the 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 ball was snapped he just kind of light bulb went off and he just went and made play you could see some of that and that's probably what young quarterbacks do right just turn the brain off kind of default into old school football throw the ball to the open guy and uh, let's just do this but um, it's never really going to be that full potential until he's able to get all the nuance of the offense down and again you've got plenty of time Running backs, mostly really good notes. Uh, pass pro for A.J. Dillon was tough, but uh, for Aaron Jones, uh, two really strong reps in pass pro. There were also some talk about, I don't know why I didn't put it in here, but uh, some really good runs, especially on these sweeps to the outside. The offensive line, as well as Aaron Jones, very much in sync. Offensive line doing a good job. And Jones just, you know, not only having some really good speed, but just, just really doing a good job as far as stretching patiently waiting for the hole, cutting hard into the hole, bursting through the hole, right? The, the whole thing just done very well by Aaron Jones. Quite a few A.J. Dillon notes, a lot of them, again, on pass pro. Number one, A.J. Dillon absolutely whiffs in a pass pro drill against Kamal Martin. Next one says another bad rep uh, from Dillon against Martin. Toss to A.J. Dillon, but absolutely nothing doing. I think there's more on that note later from the defender standpoint. Uh, positive note from A.J. Dillon, and this one really, really excites me. It says, A.J. Dillon runs really low to the ground with great balance. Good luck tackling him, period, much less when it's 20 below zero at Lambeau. If you go back and watch on uh, my YouTube channel, my A.J. Dillon breakdown, I was really excited about A.J., but the biggest problem I had with him, way too much of an upright runner. And being that big, if you're running upright, you lose all your power. It's useless to be 250 pounds and run upright because you're not going to do anything. Right, you lose all your power. Now, I did find one clip in, in the YouTube thing that I did of him getting unbelievably low, which, as I said in the video, proves he can do it. It's just a matter of coaching him to remember to keep the pad level low. But, man, that, that rep was awesome. And, and, again, I would encourage you, Pack Daddy NFL, to go find the A.J. Dillon video. But he scoops up. There's, this linebacker gets low. I mean, he's going, like, at the knee level. A.J. Dillon gets underneath the linebacker, scoops him up, and keeps going. So he's got some incredible ability to get low. And, you know, when you're as strong as he is, his legs and whatnot, you can have that level of power to get that low and, you know, basically squat your way back up, if you think about it in those terms. So, again, it's it's a coaching thing, but that that that's going to take this next level. If you can remind him at the hole, you know, because a lot of times at Boston College, there's nowhere to run. And, and a lot of times, I'm thinking to myself, if he would just lower his pads, he could at least push for a yard or two. But he's running upright, and he just th throws his stomach into a defender and just gets knocked back. Uh, next note, fantastic throw on the right seam from Boyle to Dylan, who led, uh, uh, who held on despite being popped from the safety. This could absolutely be a Boyle uh, note, but I figure since Dylan is a starter and Boyle is not, I would default to Dylan on that. And then uh, last note, A.J. Dillon says he catches up with Jordan Love every day. Their relationship before coming to uh, Green Bay, both being from the same a agency, has certainly helped. So that's kind of a cool little chemistry thing. Uh, Jamal Williams notes, nifty run by Jamal Williams inside for about five. Final play featured a great blitz pickup by Jamal Williams. Those are two different notes, obviously. So Jamal has been pretty solid. He hasn't had a ton of notes like A.J. Dillon or even Aaron Jones, but the, the, there hasn't been anything bad. We know he's he's just good at everything. He's not elite, especially in, in terms of just being a true runner, but he's a fantastic blocker and a really solid receiver. 
he's he's sort of I don't want to say he's like Adrian Amos, but but similar to that. You know, he's not he's not hyper elite, but he's just he's just not bad at anything. He's he's pretty good at everything. More Tyler Irvin notes. You know, I don't try to read too much into training camp, but uh, Tyler Irvin and Christian Kirksey are are kind of getting to that point where it would almost be surprising if they're not doing a good job in the regular season. So uh, the notes on Irvin, what a route as Irvin turns around Sullivan. Second note, nice blocking on a run by Tyler Irvin to the outside. That's more of a blocking note, but again, Tyler Irvin gets to the outside. Third note, final note, Tyler Irvin, however, finds some space and hauls in a pass for a nice gain. Packers dropped into zone. Oh, the however was probably, this is a second part of a tweet. I was confused by that. So he's had he had two really good routes run and a nice run. So, I mean, he's just such a fun piece. And it, it's a piece that the Packers are missing because they never invest in this. It's the only thing that scares me about Tyler Irvin either not making the team or not making an impact on the team is the fact that the Packers, both with McCarthy and LaFleur, seem to look at these types of running backs and just go, eh. And that's true. Even if you look at college prospects, there's so many really talented, like five foot ten, 175 pound running backs. That's that's an exaggeration, but you know a couple of them. Just the smaller, shiftier backs that look really good on the ground. They got blazing speed and they're great receiver, and they're just really exciting. And they fall to like the fifth round because it's like, yeah, but I want an every down back. Coaches want guys that can just. They want really good running backs that can also catch and block. They don't want just these really shifty, you know, only third down back type guys that that can't plow through a crowd of people and are suspect blockers. Um, couple more good notes about uh, fullback John Lovett. First note says, Boyle just went deep to Lovett for a big completion. Outstanding leaping grab from Lovett. The, I'd mentioned Tom Silverstein and um, how he's he's always the more pessimistic. You know, if somebody says, great throw and catch from so-and-so to so-and-so, Tom Tom's note, because it's funny, because you have to look through, there's 18 of the exact same note, right? And I, you could only follow one, but then that one person misses it, whatever. You, you end up being able to piece together a full picture if you follow everybody, but you get to see everybody's take, and for the most part, it's the exact same. It's a very positive take from everybody. Tom jumps in, and he'll say, you know, throw was behind, but so-and-so caught it, or whatever. He's just... But it, but it's good to have an honest perspective, because a lot of people are, are kind of giving the fan take, all ultra-positive, which gets people excited, but I do want sort of more of an honest take, I guess. So I'm, I'm, I'm just laughing at it, but I do appreciate it. Anyways, John, uh, Tom's take on that exact same note, which was Boyle went deep to Lovett for a big completion, outstanding leaping grab from Lovett. That's what 17 of the 18 people say. Tom types in uh, halfback John Lovett with a major push-off on a deep ball from Boyle. Good coverage, but push-off allowed him to catch the ball. Right, But again, it's the honest take. Whereas I'm thinking this is just this incredible fullback that's going to just dominate everybody's face. Tom's like, eh, he pushed a guy and caught a ball. I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate that. Moving on to wide receivers, Alan Lazard continues to dominate and show that he is the number two. A couple notes from Lazard. We're seeing one-on-one uh, receiver and corner drills. Lazard just beat Alexander on a back shoulder from a catch from 12. I mean, just that one tweet at a couple solid things. Beating Jair as well as catching a back shoulder, which is a complicated pass as well as a timing thing, which means you're in sync with your quarterback. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good note. The next one says, Lazard with five exclamation points. Up and over Alexander, who has a great contest. Normally that would have been a pass breakup, but Lazard has some seriously strong hands. So the note on that generally was nobody, including Jair Alexander, understood how he caught that. That was 99 times out of 100, that's a pass breakup by a corner. But Lazard, just with his giant man hands, is able to hold on. Um, MVS, who's been pretty up and down, seemed to have a really strong day today. Uh, first note, MVS with an incredible diving catch on a throw from Rodgers that was a bit wide. That's how you were in trust. MVS having a great day. 
Next note, MVS, another catch from Rodgers on a crosser. Then Rodgers to MVS again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Big day for the third-year wide receiver. And then uh, finally, the big nod. Uh, asked about the Packers' wide receiving core. Gutekunst singles out, singles out Marquez Valdez-Scantling for having a really great practice today. Um, Equinemius beat Jackson. And then the next note on EQ, love force from the pocket, didn't have time to set, throws a pass to the left side that looked destined to be incomplete, but for the great effort, stretch out and grab from Equinemia. Kumaro just had one bad note for the day. We'll get to that when we get to the positive side from the corner who destroyed it. Uh, and then Reggie Begleton, who's, who's again, kind of, he disappears for some time and then pops up to, to give the Begleton, the, the Begalites, some hope. First note says, absolutely beautiful last step separation by Reggie Begleton against Kabianento. That was really, really pretty. Perfect execution, uh, perfectly executed route and catch. Uh, next note says Begleton has put together a couple good reps as a gunner as well. Uh, also says here Malik Turner really looked good as a as a punt gunner, which which is not insignificant if you think about guys like Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis was a guy that struggled as a wide receiver, but absolutely made his name as a special teamer. Right, no question he probably wouldn't have even been on the team as long as he was if he wasn't just an absolutely elite dominant gun. So it's not insignificant, especially when it's kind of up in the air as to who does what and where and how. Um, and then Darius Shepard, who, who's been relatively quiet, had a bunch of notes. Uh, first one says, Shepard runs a great route to beat Sullivan with sudden separation at the top of the route. Uh, another note that might have been the same, but again, it was quite a bit later. Shepard runs right past Sullivan. Uh, next note says, Darius Shepard looked good today, just held on to a laser from Jordan Love over the middle. And then finally, another fantastic catch, this time along the sideline by Shepard from Love. The two are in rhythm right now. So basically, and I probably should have put this down. I don't know I don't know why. I swear I took a couple notes that just aren't here right now. But uh, Jordan Love on the two-minute drill was able to drive the team down to get a field goal, largely because of Jordan Love and Darius Shepard just kind of dominating down the field. So Darius Shepard was kind of his guy on that stretch. Uh, notes on the tight ends. Jay Sternberger got a couple. He's been relatively quiet. Uh, again, DeGuara's been the main guy, but uh, here are the notes from Jace. Sternberger open over the middle, but Boyle misses him. Didn't seem to be on the same page there. Strangely, didn't see a note from Herman on that. That's weird. And then uh, Jordan Love finds Jay Sternberger on a crossing route underneath. Over the sideline, a figure in a red jersey gestures first down. It was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, anyways, Oren Burks was in coverage on that. Oren Burks, I've seen almost nothing about uh, except him getting beat in coverage. So it's just, it's not... It's not great for Burks. A lot of people are excited because he packed on like 20 pounds of muscle and he was hurt last year. And of course, there's the 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 holy grail of elite players, which is he was hurt last year. And somehow, somehow that automatically makes you an elite player the next year. I don't know how that works, but he was hurt last year, so he's going to be great this year. Plus, he's stronger now. So, I don't know. Look, I he's, he's, he's never been anything other than one of the worst linebackers in football, and he's done nothing so far in training camp. That's the only real information that I have. That seems useful to me. Is it possible he steps up? Yes. It's also possible that somebody hands me a winning lottery ticket tomorrow. It's unlikely, but it's possible. Uh, notes for Josiah. Was that mean? Probably was. I just, you know, I just get annoyed by stuff sometimes. It's not Oren's fault. He's doing what he can. I just, you know, it's you people getting excited about him. That annoys me. Josiah Deguara notes. Deguara! Exclamation point. Great leaping sideline grab at, uh, with a toe tap to beat great coverage by Raven Green. Next note, Boyle finds DeGuara on an out. Another crisp day from Boyle and a nice day from DeGuara as well. I guarantee you that's a Herman tweet. <laughs> just, I could just tell. Uh, Mercedes Lewis note, uh, Lewis back in pads after uh, rest day on Wednesday. And then one nice note, Lewis uses his big body to box out Redmond. The old man still got it. 
And then Robert Tanya. Great job by Tanya sealing Burks outside, creating a big-time lane for Jones on a toss to the left, so he's also getting dominated against the run, just saying. And then Tanya beats Green inside for a nice gain. Tough day for Green today, which would be a little bit more upsetting if, if Green wasn't so dominant for every practice other than this one. That is going to be a big part of his, his job, though, uh, be, you know, covering tight ends. If he's going to be in the inside-the-box linebacker, that's an important uh, role. Uh, before we move on to offensive line, I was trying to find a good spot to put this. There's sort of the, the win-loss numbers for the offensive line versus the defense on, on the... Uh, yeah, I don't know if these are one-on-ones or what. They probably were, but I'll put them here. So Billy Turner versus um, Tim Williams, uh, two for Turner. So props to Billy Turner, although we're talking about a guy that's probably not going to make the team. Lane Taylor versus Dean Lowry. Taylor takes two. Uh, Lucas Patrick versus Tyler Lancaster. They split. Kenny Clark versus Elton Jenkins apparently was a really good matchup. They gave it two to Clark. I saw somebody said one to one. Um, obviously not disappointed by that as long as it was close, and apparently it was. Uh, Preston Smith and Alex Light split. Apparently Alex Light, and we'll get to it, had a pretty good day today. Rashawn Gary versus Rick Wagner was one and one, and I believe Rick Wagner got hurt on his uh, rep against Rashawn Gary. Kingsley Kiki uh, versus Cody Conway. That was one to one. It would be really nice to see 2-0 there, but whatever. Uh, Willington Pavilion against, man, I'm really struggling because it's just Jay Hansen. I got to really dig deep here. Jake Hansen. I'm just, I'm playing. I should know. He was a drafted guy, but I'm just, so many names. Uh, that was one to one. John Runyon against uh, Trayvon Hester. That was one to one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, John Runyon was 2-0. Randy Ramsey against John LeGlue was one to one. Jonathan Garvin had one against uh, Zach Johnson. Delonte Scott took one from Lucas Patrick, one to one. And then uh, Tipigalea was 2-0 and against John LeGlue. Uh, Tipigalea also had a pretty good day. We'll get to that as well. So that was sort of the breakdown of, of who beat who on the one-to-ones. Um, again, Alex Light had a pretty good day. A few notes on him. Alex Light had a really nice day in pass protection so far. Nice to see after his struggles a season ago. Next note says, great pass block by Light on Gary. Next note, Alex Light, who's playing a position on the field. Again, the nonsense. Drives me nuts. It's really only two guys that are still doing that, and one of them is really, really, he just refuses to give information. He just does this the whole time. Again, I'll refrain from saying who, but I'm really, really tired of it. Let's restart that. Alex Light, who is playing a position on the field, got sucked inside against Preston Smith, so this is actually a negative note. Uh, Rashawn Gary, another professional football football player, rushed outside on a stunt and had a free shot at Aaron Rodgers. The red jersey saved Rodgers on that one. So Alex Light got messed up by a stunt. Rashawn Gary got a sack. That's how we summarize that nonsense tweet. Uh, the only Elton Jenkins note outside of what you've already heard, false start by Elton Jenkins, he promptly gets taken out. Uh, note about Billy Turner, Coach Matt LaFleur said that he believes Billy Turner has proven he can start at right tackle if he decides to go that direction. I'm going to respectfully uh, disagree with that, but you know, the, again, the Packers are obsessed with Billy Turner. They, Matt LaFleur loves, loves, loves Billy Turner. Aaron Rodgers also loves, loves, loves Billy Turner. Not that that matters as much, but presumably Gutekunst is obsessed with Billy Turner. I don't get it, but they really like the guy. I wish I knew why. I really do. We were mocked and laughed at by Denver Broncos and Miami Dolphins fans who have already had Billy Turner on their team when we paid a bunch of money to Billy Turner because they're like, what are you guys doing? He's terrible. He comes here. He's easily the worst player along our offensive line, and our coaches are over here talking about, dude, he could play anywhere along the offensive line. He's that good. So there, there's a big gap between what I'm seeing and what they're seeing. And again, I just wish I knew what in the world it is that they see in that guy. Uh, note from Lane Taylor, who did an interview or a press conference thing, whatever. Um, 
says Packers offensive lineman Lane Taylor, formerly a starting left guard, says it's been an easy transition to right guard, feels it's natural on that side. Quote, I played right side my whole life until I got to Green Bay. So, again, there's a whole lot of shuffling going on, so that's one of the pieces that they can do, and, and clearly Lane can play right or left, and it's not going to be a problem. You know, so that's nice. Um, that's it. That's it for the offense. Now, I can't believe we're 40 minutes into this. Did I leave this running at some point, and there's just like 20 minutes of air? I swear I haven't been talking that long. This is going to be a long episode because there's a lot of notes on defense, partly because we heard from Mike Patton, Jerry Gray, Mike Smith, and Kirk Olvidati, the inside linebacker coach. Um, Only one note from Olvidati. He had a tough act to follow with uh, Patton, Gray, and and, uh, Mike Smith, who got everybody fired up. Also, Sean Menenga, who's always fun to listen to, and, and then... I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it, but the Olvidati quote is just hilarious because it is the most low-energy, like, kind of answer in the history of the world. But anyways, maybe pause this, get yourself a cup of coffee. I might, I'm literally going to do that, actually, because I've been, well, it's only been about three hours I've been working, but I'm tired, man. I need some coffee, so here we go after I get coffee. <laughs> All right, juiced up. Let's do this. So first off, I've got just some defensive notes in general. Um, The first thing that was said by Mike Pettin that just makes me nervous, I'll read the tweet first. Packers defensive coordinator Mike Pettin says he evaluated defense after each season. He tweaked coverage, pass rush, and certainly the run D after last season. He wants run defense to be a blend between gap shooting, disruptive, and assignment sure, anchoring anchoring in gap. Time and a place for everything. The only reason that makes me nervous is every time I hear we're going to tear it down and rebuild it, it makes me think of the Green Bay Packers, right? Where Mike McCarthy, every year after things started going south, he's like, well, we, we ripped it up and started over. And then it's the exact same thing all over again. And it's kind of just an admission that everything we did last year was kind of bad and I don't know how to do my job very well. And so I'm going to rebuild it, even though I don't really know a new way of doing things. I know my way of doing things. I'm not saying it's one-to-one or it's the same thing. I'm just, I'm hearing the whole... We're reevaluating how we do things. You know, and, and granted, he's probably just more talking about tweaks. We're sticking with the same system. But it just, as soon as I heard it, it sent that, that chill up my spine. Like, please don't do that. Please don't give me the, the we're rebuilding this speech. Uh, Mike Pettin talked about the quality of, of tackling, saying that, you know, a lot of teams are going to end up missing tackle. Uh, the, the real interesting thing that he talked about was that he was... He knows that everybody's going to be missing tackles early, so he's less concerned about the Green Bay Packers and tackling drills because he's just accepted that the Packers are going to miss a bunch of tackles. The thing he's more concerned about is injuries. So he's he's avoiding, he and, and LaFleur and whatnot are avoiding uh, tackling. His exact quote was, I think we all know this year is about attrition. Who can be the healthiest, healthiest for the longest and who can be the healthiest at the end? Another way to... Uh, the phrase that is, I'd rather a guy miss a couple tackles than miss a guy for a couple weeks, right? And it's true. It, 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 there's no question. It's about it, not just with COVID losses, but also just injuries. We're already seeing a bunch crop up. When you have less time to practice, you're going to have more injuries. And and a big part of the Packers' success last year was the fact that they were really low in injuries. It's very important, right? I mean, do, do we need some live... I mean, how, let me put it this way, and I hate to put the bad juju on the team. How is it wrong to say screwed? I'm going to say screwed. How screwed are all of us if uh, Kirksey goes down in a tackling drill? A.J. Dillon just plows through him, dude dislocates his shoulder, he's out for the season, or whatever. I don't know, make something up. 
We're in big trouble, man. Big trouble. We'll get to that, like, now-ish or soon, but not, not good. Um, other defensive note, Jerry Gray's mindset on DB play. Quote, to me, being cautious is not a sign of a good secondary. He wants his guys to recognize which plays are theirs to be made, but not hesitate when it's their time. So it, it gets you excited. I mean, it, it's it's an acquired thing, and it's also kind of a, a dangerous thing in terms of if you're telling guys just go, 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 get aggressive. Get aggressive also a lot of time means get burned. That was That's the whole thing with Jair, right? His real big plays are when he's really hyper-aggressive, but sometimes that gets taken advantage of. He tries to jump routes, and it's a double move. So you, you've got a guy doing an in-cut, the quarterback does a pump fake, Jair tries to break on the ball, and that's when the, the wide receiver cuts up field and Jair is just way out of position and he gets killed. Right? He's not a bad corner, he's very, very talented, he just gets beat sometimes with his aggression. They, they toy with him a little bit because they know he's a hyper-aggressive guy, and that's really what they want. They talked about that last year, we want him to be aggressive, we're telling him don't take your foot off the gas because that's that's how you become a great corner. You know, Not getting baited is a whole other learned skill set um second note jerry gray db coach jerry gray said uh, his new safeties have watched film of viking safety harrison smith and anthony harris and had discussed about their approach to make big plays he wants all dbs to feel they can make big plays that's big for the packers they left a lot of big plays on the field not king so much but uh jair in particular had a bunch of a bunch of picks that he just let go through his hand but also, you know, guys like Savage and whatnot, they've got the, the playmaking ability with the range and everything else. Um, Kenny Clark, I mentioned uh, his matchup, matchup with Elton Jenkins already. This note says, the best matchup in the one-on-ones was Kenny Clark and Elton Jenkins. I had Clark taking both reps, but it was close. Uh, next note says, Kenny Clark had a clear shot on Aaron Jones, but wisely let him keep running. It would have been a tackle for a loss in a real game. And then finally, Jerry Montgomery on Kenny Clark. I forgot to mention Jerry Montgomery's near too. Another, I really, really like Jerry Montgomery. Not just in, in terms of his mentality, but he's done a great job with the defensive line. It's, it's just one of those positions where guys come in and they overperform. And that's just the mark of a good coach. Unlike some of the other things where we've had really high draft picks at DB that just massively underperform, which should point to not having a good DB coach, but Mike McCarthy just refused to fire any of his guys, so that never changed. And we had guys here for 9, 10 years, and we had DBs that just can't perform. Or linebacker, for that matter. We'll see about Olvadati, who's who's new. We'll see what happens. But at some point, you got to kind of step in and say, we need something else. Maybe we need to start drafting more talented players, but that's a separate issue. Anyways, Jerry Montgomery on Kenny Clark's skills, both against the run and pass rusher. Quote, when you talk about nose tackle, he's the best two-way nose tackle in the game. All right, so his ability to line up at nose and uh, you know play two-gap is incredible. His ability to take on double teams is incredible, but also the ability to play a gap-shooting, essentially defensive tackle or defensive end in a game. I mean, he's got that versatility. It's why I was surprised by his price tag. People say he's the highest-paid nose tackle. Yeah, but you're paying this guy as a nose tackle? I don't know, man. Uh, The only Kingsley Kiki note, and I appreciate this as well, Jerry Montgomery on Kingsley Kiki, quote, year two, he's been in the system. It's time to put up or shut up. He goes on to say, I do see him taking those steps, but I, I like that because there's, there's no fluff, right? A lot of a lot of times coaches come out and they're, they talk about they believe in their guy and this, that, and the other. Montgomery didn't really say that. He's just like, look, it's year two. Year one wasn't good enough. You have to be better, and I expect you to be better, period. I love that. And and, and listen, Kingsley had a decent year as a rookie, but that's that's sort of the thing, right? We, we judge guys based on their ability. You know, Darnell Savage had a really good year as a rookie, but if he just stays there, he's he's a average at best safety same with Jair to be honest I mean he's kind of at that point where as a rookie it was a really solid year year two was a little bit of a disappointment if he stays at that level he's 
an okay starting corner. A lot of Packer fans aren't going to like that, but that's just the reality. He's not an elite corner. He has elite potential, but right now he's just kind of, mm, you know, mm, better than what we had with Demarius Randall, but it's not good. So it's, it's one of those things where the potential's there. You really hope to see a step. Kingsley Kiki showed some potential, especially as a run defender, which I said is, as I said, is surprising for such a lean guy. You would expect him to be more of a pass rusher. And maybe that's part of what Jerry's talking about. I expect you to be able to get after the quarterback better because he's been terrible at that. He was in college too, by the way, so it's going to be a big step for him to, to develop that skill set. But, um, yeah, that, that's the bottom line. As a rookie, fine, we'll give you a pass. That was good enough. But I expect better, and um, that's the end of the that's the end of that. So massive respect for Jerry Montgomery, massively underrated um, coach. Moving on to edge, uh, plenty of notes. Darius Smith, uh, I mentioned his old injury thing. He was there, but he uh, wasn't um, dressed or anything. He did do a lot of coaching on the sideline, working with Gary, working with a lot of the guys, showing them what to do. Um, and then the one note from Mike Smith, noted that Darius Smith had, quote, one of the best games I've ever seen last year against Carolina. 16, 17 pressures, but didn't have a sack. That's when he was going on that whole uh, tirade or whatever. But that'll be interesting to go back and look at. Actually, let me pull something up here. Yeah, so they, they I mean, again, PFF is not an exact science. The, the, the Packers have consistently graded higher for their own players than, than PFF has. But they had that tied for his best game of the season as far as pressures go. They had him as 12 total pressures, three hits, and nine hurries in that game. That was his most hurries in any other game. The other game in which he dominated to that level, although it was better because he had two sacks, uh, but also 12 total pressures was against Seattle in the uh, divisional game. But that would be something cool to kind of look back at. Nobody really talks about that Carolina game very much. but And he also didn't grade out all that well because his run defense was not very great. But uh, definitely one of his best pass rushing performances. So, I mean, if you got nothing to do, you got Game Pass. That'd be a fun game to go back and revisit. Go watch Zadarius put on an absolute clinic against that Carolina offensive line. Um, but if you want, I mean, again, who am I to argue with Mike Smith? But possibly the better game would be against Seattle, not only uh, because of the two pressures, but also, or the 12 pressures, but also the two sacks. But also, as he said, the pass rush opportunities. He, he rushed the passer 45 times against Carolina, only 39 times against Seattle. That is a nearly 31% pressure rate. I mean, he, he ended the season with like 17 and a half, 17 something, which is just ridiculous. And obviously that's going to be a combination of some really high games, some really low games, but one third, you're talking about one third of the times when he's trying to get to the quarterback, he gets at least a pressure. One third, dude? Come on. I, I would guess this is his, I mean, I don't know, man. Again, if you got nothing to do, check. There's just, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. I mean, granted, we know Seattle's got a bad offensive line, but come on. 31%. Gives you chills, man. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Preston Smith. Haven't seen a lot from Preston, but uh, got a couple notes here. Preston Smith with a would-be sack on Aaron Rodgers during 11-on-11. Rodgers throws it into the grass. And then there was another note. Preston appeared to have a sack, and this was quite a bit later, so I believe that that was a second place. So call it two sacks for Preston on the day, so that's solid. Bunch of notes on Rashawn Gary, mostly from, I shouldn't say, eh, yeah, mostly from coaches. Um, but to start off, Rashawn Gary with a nice pass rush against Rick Wagner. He's showing some burst. Uh, Rashawn Gary close to a sack on another note. Uh, here's a note that I've, I've been wanting to talk about because I've seen this in other places, but it says Gary looks like he's benefiting from extra strength and a healed shoulder. He's able to use force to get the offensive line off of him and create space. We'll see if it translates in game. So that doesn't necessarily translate as well to pass rush as it does against, uh, you know, run defense. But from what I've heard, this is the second time I've seen a similar note, 
the extra added strength and, and essentially muscle, right? Remember, he, he lost body fat and overall mass, but he gained in terms of weight, meaning he packed on a ton of muscle and trimmed out basically all his fat. But with the heeled shoulder and the additional muscle mass and presumably strength, um, he seems just dominant against offensive line. And, and again, as far as pass rush, you got to be really fast. I mean, you've got two seconds to get to the quarterback. So the ability to lock up with a tackle shove him off of you and then get to the quarterback. I mean, it, it may translate to sacks, but typically it's a little bit more of a finesse pass rush move kind of a thing. But as far as, as you know, block shedding against the run, which he's already very good at and is probably going to be his number one attribute. I mean, hopefully not, but probably. That's that's fantastic news. Just just being unblockable is, is huge, right? He's still got to develop the, the pass rush moves, the, you know, the counters and all that kind of stuff, and we'll see where he's at with that. But at the very least, if he can just be an unblockable guy that's just dominant against the run, who also happens to contribute at at least like a, what was his rate I already said? I think it was 10-ish percent as a pass rusher. Maybe it was higher. So he had 16 pressures on 152. So that's that's over that's over 10%, right? Because 160 would be 10%. He was 152 pass rush uh, attempts, 16 pressures. He had three sacks, according to this. So somebody was saying he had two sacks. He had two against Denver and one against Chicago. Oh, because they're probably half sacks, which is a stupid stat. Another rant? Go ask Mike Smith about half sacks. I, I bet you money he agrees with me on. Half sacks are a dumb stat. It makes sense in terms of wanting the numbers to line up in terms of total team sacks. You don't want to say that there were seven sacks in a game when there's only really four because you're adding up whole sacks that end up being half sacks. But from the player's standpoint, how many sacks did the player get? It, there's no such thing as a half sack. You sacked the quarterback. It is what it is. So half sacks are dumb. They're just two set. I don't know why it's so hard to imagine. Here's the total sacks for the players. Here's the total for the team, and they're they don't line up. It's it's not that big of a deal. It just seems like laziness to me. Well, I just want it all to add up at the end, so I can just sum all at the bottom, and it does the math for me. So he had three sacks and 16 pressures, only 152 attempts. Again, people talk about. Uh, I talked about this too. Rashawn Gary, all he only had, only nothing. Again, if you extrapolate out the amount of sacks that he had, let's, I don't want to do the math again. It was, it's a it's, it's well over 10. It's double digit sacks. He would have had double digit sacks. If you look at the three that he had, extrapolate that out over the amount of pressures that, and, and opportunities that Zadarius had, he had double digit sacks on the season. His lack of stats has to do with the lack of opportunities. He did not do a bad job last year. I mean, he didn't grade out all that well. It wasn't flawless, but his pressures were on point. His pressure numbers are, are fine. His sack numbers are fine. Nothing wrong with them at all. It's absurd to say otherwise. You want a guy to have, have what, 10 sacks on 152 attempts? That's stupid. That's stupid. Nobody does that. No, Zadarius wouldn't do that. So Darius would have three or four sacks with the amount of opportunities that Rashawn had. Come on now. Uh, Mike Pettin quote, Rashawn is going to have a big role in what we're doing going forward. Here's the interesting part of the note, along with Jonathan Garvin. Now, there were several times he said he's going to have a big role going forward. So maybe that's just kind of his thing. That's kind of a nothing throwaway line. But the fact that he just calls out Garvin and says he's going to have a big role. I, I didn't know he was even going to make the team. I mean, I assumed, because usually drafted guys at least make the team or, or at the very least get go to the practice squad. So I kind of figured he'd make it. But to, to just call out Garvin and say he's going to have a big role, I don't know, I guess I find it hard to believe. But hey, you heard it from Petten. He's going to be on the team and do stuff. Uh, another Petten quote on Gary, quote, how he handled his business when he's not here was tremendous. Again, his work ethic is beyond just about anybody on the team. It's It's... it's 
I don't I don't know why people can not like him. I, I really genuinely don't get People are still mad because they didn't want to draft. I just, he's done nothing wrong. He's come in and been, I mean, aside from the constant blocking on social media and whatnot, it seems very petty, but the, the guy is 100% dedicated to this team. He has a passion for this team. He has a passion for the fans that he didn't block. <laughs> he is the hardest working guy on the team. He is the most athletic person, the, the most physically gifted person on this entire team. He, he got plenty, his pressure numbers, his sack numbers are exactly what you'd want them to be given his opportunity. I, I don't understand what where the hate's coming from. He maybe won't develop into what we want him to be, but there is zero information that I have. You know that I can be critical of people. This isn't me just being fluff for the sake of standing up for my team. I'm critical of a lot of guys. There's no information here that I can work with that tells me Rashawn Gary is a bad football player. Zero. Find me one. Find me one piece of information that proves to me that he's a bad football player. And if you say total sacks, I'm going to kick you in the throat. 152 total opportunities the man had. Well, we should have taken Brian Burns. He had eight sacks. Brian Burns had a good year, but he had double the amount of opportunities. Brian Burns' pressure rate was 10.3%, 10.4%. Rashawn Gary was 10.5%. Neither of those is very good. It's fine. As a rookie, it's, it's decent. It's tolerable. But it's not very good. So they're both right at the same spot. Rashawn Gary is marginally better than Brian Burns. Yes, I said better. Because again, you're comparing apples and oranges. Brian Burns was a starting outside linebacker, or I should say defensive end, for the Carolina Panthers. Rashawn Gary was a number three outside linebacker for the Packers. It's not the same thing. Um, Continuing on, Mike Smith on Rashawn Gary. Now, remember this. I want to keep this in context because... I mean, first of all, Mike Mike Smith is is pounding the table for his guys, but he pounds the table harder for Rashawn Gary than anyone, partially probably because of the disrespect he gets. But also, let's remember, after we drafted Rashawn Gary, there was some shade being thrown about, you know, I don't know, what do you think? Mike Smith shot all that down and said that he said his number one pass rusher on the enti- his entire board was Rashawn Gary. Number one, more so than Brian Burns. More so than Josh Allen, and more so than Bosa, which, <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous, but it is what it is. He wanted Rashawn Gary more than anybody in the entire draft class. I mean, granted, as far as outside linebackers go, because that's his, that's his thing, but he is excited about him, and he knows what his potential is, and he's very, very um, optimistic. And I don't think he's lying about it. If I had to guess, he's the one pounding the table saying, I want that guy, I want that guy, I want that guy. Please, Mike, talk to somebody. Make sure we get this guy. Um, Mike Smith also says Rashawn Gary texted him at 1230 in the morning asking for three things he could work on on his day off. Just another example. The guy doesn't quit. 1230. I mean, look, I, I, don't, I don't mean to throw shade, but we know for a fact there are football players that go home and play video games. We, we know because they, they tweet it. Hey, I'm about to, to play this game. Anybody want to play? There's videos of, of guys getting all hyped up like, dude, we just, we just killed... Uh, some Packer players, uh, Preston Smith and, and somebody else, like they, they go home, eat pizza or whatever, and play video games. Rashawn Gary is up at 1230 at night studying film and texting his coach, hey, what's something I can work on? I mean, handle your business however you want. I would prefer you, you work on your craft and try to become good at stuff. But hey, if you put in your work and then you want to relax, that's fine. That's kind of what I do when I get home. I relax, so I can't really can't really hate too much. But all the credit in the world to Rashawn Gary. He doesn't relax. He never relaxes. In the offseason, what, do, what does he do? He studies and he grinds. 
during the regular season. He's up at 12.30, technically in the morning, texting his coach, give me three things. That that should not be, I mean, I, I, I don't want to act as though, well, they all do that. No, they don't. No, they don't. Rashawn does that. He's the only guy I know of that does that. Maybe some somebody else does, but I'm guessing a lot of the other guys are either sleeping or playing video games at 12:30. Rashawn is up and he's working. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't know how you can't love the guy. Um, final note again: Mike Smith, who is obsessed with the guy, Smith praising Rashawn Gary. Quote: I don't have no what if with him. Quote: He wants to be good. The strides he has made is credit to him because he is showing up. So I don't exactly know what that means, but point is that there is no what if in in Mike Smith's mind he's going to be a good football player again there is a what if in my mind I have no idea if he's going to be a good football player but he has he has more tool I mean when you have the tools and you have the and you put in the work there's very little margin for error for being bad right? I mean there is sort of the mental thing and maybe he just will never understand the mental side of it he just can't mentally get there but the, the likelihood of that is very small it just is it's just I mean he would have to I don't know. I'm not going to be mean about it, but that, that's the only thing possibly standing in his way. He can't mentally get there. Uh, Jonathan Garvin note. Jonathan Garvin fights through the line for a pressure, which causes Boyle to fire higher for Sternberger. So props to Garvin for making the list. Tim Williams, same deal. Tim Williams failed to set the edge on a run, but it went for a minimal gain. So well done, Tim. You made the list for doing something bad. Uh, typical Leia. Uh, two guys that we don't hear of very much uh, in this battle for the number four, although you know, seemingly Mike Pettin is handing that to Jonathan Garvin. But if not, a uh, note from Typicalea, one-on-one is a guy to watch, was undrafted linebacker Typicalea, very quick off the ball, downside as he's 6'5", 229. Yeah, that doesn't work too well on a Pettin defense, but, you know, they picked him up for a reason. Uh, Tippa busts through for a would-be sack on Love. I'm assuming his name is Tippa, by the way. I, this is how I was, how I've heard to say it. May not be, but Typicalea is how I've heard. A uh, really good pass rush rush rep from Tipagalea and team would have been a sack. So three solid notes from Galea. Then there's Delante Scott, who has not made the list, I don't think, once. Um, Delante Scott fires through on a blitz for a sack, but Love delivers a nice ball on an out to EQ. How do you deliver a ball on a sack? Because you don't actually touch quarterbacks in this process. So the, the, the pass would not have happened. And then Delante Scott with another impressive play, bull rushing through John LeGlue for a sack of love. So he's got two sacks on love on that drive. Moving on to linebacker now. We've got some general linebacker notes. Um, some of the interesting things here, we assume it's Kirksey and Berksey, right? That's the duo, but it absolutely is not the case, which makes sense because, as I've said, Burks is not a very good football player. Uh, LaFleur said young inside linebackers Ty Summers and Kamal Martin are going to have to be ready to play when the season starts because it's still a competition for the spot next to Christian Kirksey. So he just flat out said we need Ty Summers and Kamal Martin to step up because there's an open position. Who is he talking about, I wonder? Who's the guy that's missing from this conversation? We're hoping Ty and Kamal can step up because we're looking for someone to fill that number two role. Ouch. Um, Mike Pettin followed that up in his interview saying there was an open competition at inside linebacker outside of Kirksey. And then the one note from Kirk Olavadotti, the inside linebacker coach, after following the fire and brimstone speeches from some really great coaches. Quote, I think we've got a fair amount of speed. We've got enough that we can win with. I know that. Thanks, coach. Good one. You got him. Nailed it. Uh, Christian Kirksey, who continues to impress. we got a bunch of notes here. Number one, Kirksey with a really strong rep in one-on-one passing drill with Aaron Jones, who ran a good arrow route with Kirksey all over him. 
Next note, like what I've seen from Kirksey in space. Anticipates, keeps balance, and can trail. Next one says, check down to Jamal Williams, but Kirksey is right there for an immediate stop. Next one says, another pass to a running back, another stop by Christian Kirksey. Anything five years or less, sideline to sideline, he's been absolutely all over to start camp. Finally, Petten on Kirksey, quote, Kirko, apparently that's his thing now. Kirko has great speed, stepped in here, leadership role, everyone gravitated to him, good communicator on the field, off the field, take charge kind of guy, it's important to him. He looks good, running around well, he's been what we expected. And look, as I've said, I was wrong about Zadarius. Not that I thought he'd be bad, I thought he'd be good, although overpaid, but the the amount of, with the exception of Billy Turner, Amos, at least met expectations. I would say he met my expectations, although there was some concern he wouldn't be as good as he was with the Bears. He is. Um, Zadarius massively, massively, massively overproduced beyond anybody's expectations. Preston Smith produced beyond my expectations. Billy Turner is about what I expected. Their ability in the pro personnel department, for a team that doesn't really have pro personnel guys, they hire a lot for you know college scouting is their number one priority when they hire guys. It's it's college scouts, but they've done a fantastic job in the pro personnel department. So for Kirksey to come over here and exceed my expectations, I should almost expect it at this point. Um, no nerd, no, no nerds, no notes on Oren Burks other than uh, what I said before about him making mistakes. Uh, Kamal Martin. First note, don't know if either of them can cover or tackle, but Kamal Martin and Ty Summers sure seem to be able to cover a lot of ground. Nice inside linebacker combination, so obviously that's a note for both of them, but I have to put it somewhere. And then uh, finally, former Gophers linebacker Kamal Martin has flashed a bit today, just blew up the final play of 11-on-11. So, I mean, there's a, a decent possibility. There's been almost no notes on Burks, Martin, or Ty Summers. I have not heard one note about Ty Summers. This is the first time I've heard anything about Kamal. And I I think I've only heard negative things about Oren Burks so far. So if I had to gauge it, Kamal Martin is winning this competition. (laughs) And it's, jeez, is it brutal. Fortunately, we play a lot of one linebacker with Raven Green probably playing in there. So we're not going to have to see a lot of it. But I really hope somebody can can step up and do something because yikes. Um, Notes for cornerback now, Jair. I, I mentioned a while ago about Alan Lazard dominating Jair. I think the following play... Here's the note here. It says, Alan Lazard got the better of Alexander in drills, but Jair just blanketed him in the first pass in to him in team, which is just a different thing that they do. So one-on-one, Lazard beat him, and then now they're doing team probably 11-on-11, and uh, Alexander shut it down. So props to him. There's a good competition between the two. Kevin King notes, who's had a ton of notes so far. Um, he's doing really well in training camp. A couple of bad ones, but um, probably... I don't know. I would maybe the best one in camp so far, as far as just based of, on quantity of notes. But it says King defends Kumaro well, forcing him to the left sideline incomplete. Uh, Rogers and MVS not on the same page. Great coverage by King. And then uh, final note: King coverage on Kumaro forces him out of bounds. No chance for Kumaro to make a play. King looks great today. So Kevin King has been really on point, which is important. I mean, he's he's a big part of it. As far as you know, what could make the biggest difference? The difference between bad Kevin King and uh, potential Kevin King is a massive gap. Bad Kevin King is terrible. His upside is is basically like Richard Sherman-esque, right? That's what they drafted him for. There's very rare to have a guy as big and as long and as fast as Kevin King. Richard Sherman is kind of the prototype. So I'm not saying he can be that, but again, the gap between bad Kevin King and his ceiling, massive.
Um, Chandon Sullivan up next, who is the presumed slot corner over Josh Jackson. Uh, first note, Adrian Amos said yesterday he has, quote, full confidence, unquote, in Packers cornerback Chandon Sullivan, the likely starter in the slot. Um, next note, among the reasons Packers have Chandon Sullivan in the slot, Jerry Gray says he likes Chandon Sullivan's run defense from the nickel cornerback spot. Quote, he looks like a safety playing nickel, and a lot of people didn't really try to run his way. It's kind of an interesting note. I mean, he didn't really grade out that well as uh, as far as run defense. He actually graded out pretty poorly. He was one of the highest graded corners on the team. As I've said, graded out really, really well, but mostly it was coverage and a little bit of pass rush. He actually did well. Um, tackling was decent. Run defense was poor. But also, he's 5'11", 194, so it's it's strange to hear he looks like a safety and he's really good against the run because that would be, in my opinion, the only real weak spot. But apparently, he just plays with a lot of aggression, which is cool. Uh, statistically speaking, he had 27 tackles, only three missed tackles. So again, his tackling grade wasn't that bad. But anyways, that was uh, DB Coach's praise for him. Uh, final note on Chandon uh, Gray, the DB coach, has been using Tremont's tape from 2019 to help develop Sullivan, which of course makes sense because Tremont was the nickel corner, and so now Sullivan will be doing that. Um, it's also worth worth noting, Chandon essentially was sort of a safety slash nickel corner. That's sort of what he is. That's a pretty uh, common uh, type of, of position in the NFL today. There's there's safety slash linebackers and then there's safety slash corners and then there's safety safeties and strong you know, different kinds of things. But but that type of, of guy is is a thing and that's sort of what Chandon is. So that was his, his primary role, sometimes in, as a safety, sometimes coming up and playing in the slot. Um, I suppose worth noting his his best game was against Dallas and he was pr- predominantly a slot corner in that game. His next best games are all at safety, but, you know, still promising. Um, In that game, two tackles, no misses, two targets, two receptions for 38 yards, uh, and he did have a pick in that game. That was his one of the season. Uh, Some notes on Josh Jackson. Again, um, a lot of optimism surrounding Josh Jackson, who unfortunately seems to still be that number four guy, but, um, you know, we'll see. Actually, we won't because they're keeping him outside, so pending any injuries or, you know, four wide receiver sets or something. But anyways, Mike Pettin on Josh Jackson, quote, he's done a good job. He's coming here with the right mentality. Kind of a nothing throwaway line, but I put it in there. Uh, Pettin said Jackson is playing exclusively on the perimeter, which is what I had mentioned to you. Put him somewhere and leave him there. They're doing that, and they seem to be seeing dividends from that. Uh, Note from Jerry Gray, um, quote, we have high expectations for Josh. He's going to be a big part of what we do. Again, that seems to be just sort of the line. I doubt he's going to be a big part of what you're doing. Although, again, you've got sort of these versatile pieces with Chandon being kind of a slash safety kind of guy. It's not impossible you see maybe some Josh and King with Jair in the slot and Chandon dropping. It's pretty unlikely. I'm trying to think of a way in which that would work, but I, you know, because then we'd have to pull a safety and that doesn't make sense, but whatever. I don't know. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That was a Mike Pettin. I was going to say Jerry Gray's using Mike Pettin's line. That was Mike Pettin's line. Jerry Gray. Here, let me just read the tweet. Packers DB coach Jerry Gray on how he's teaching Josh Jackson to use uh, strength of his game, his strength, while not being overly physical in league that doesn't reward from cornerback. That Man, these tweets are just not English sometimes. He says the key is, quote, not to overly muscle guys. You have to have a little finesse in your game. So I had mentioned how, you know, at, at six foot, about 200 pounds, as much as that doesn't seem very big, he's, he's a pretty strong, you know, stocked up cornerback. So he can use his strength to his advantage. I think the concern is he just gets a little bit grabby. And so while the physicality is great as far as, you know, jamming guys at the line, and you know, when we're talking man-to-man defense, beating a guy at the line, um, knocking him off his route is important. But after that, it's all, you know, you got to use your feet and your hip. Maybe your hands a little bit to kind of 
you know, if you can be a technician about it. But you just you don't want to just be grabby. All right, you can't just be physical all the time. You're not a linebacker. Um, another note from Stanford Samuel, sort of my uh, outside shot guy of making the team, presumably as the number five, I guess. Nice pass breakup in the back of the end zone by undrafted free agent rookie cornerback Stanford Samuels from Florida State on Jordan Love pass intended for Jake Kumaro. Uh, a couple good notes from KB on Ento. I think I mentioned one negative note earlier on a wide receiver thing, but KB on Ento shoots off a block for a tackle of Mercedes Lewis. Nice play by KB. It's funny because they put tackle in quotes, and part of me wonders, I wonder if he actually would have tackled him, because I feel like Mercedes probably could have broke through that, but we'll give him credit for it. And then the next note just says Ento's having a good day. Um, occasionally you see that where they're like, this guy's having a good day, and it's like, really? Because nobody's tweeted about him all day, but thanks for the insight. Um, note on Will Sunderland, probably the first of camp. Will Sunderland with his best play of camp, breaking up a pass intended for Malik Taylor. Pretty much a throwaway. I don't expect much from Will Sunderland. And when you have a good pass breakup, that's great. But against Malik Taylor means you're on, you know, basically third team. And then uh, moving on to the safeties, last position of defense before we get to special teams. Um, Note on Savage. I mentioned he wasn't there for, I believe, the funeral of his grandmother. But uh, Jerry Gray, I'm sorry. Amos, there's no notes. This is Savage. The, the formatting is all off because I, I just did it in an email, so it looks weird. Note on Savage from Jerry Gray. He's ready to take another step. Jerry Gray on Savage says Gray was super impressed with Savage's rookie season. So somewhat of a throwaway, but I, I particularly put it in there for the second part. Uh, although it seems relatively straightforward, it's nice to hear sort of confirmation from Gray that he also saw him as a really good safety as far as rookies go. And then clearly there's a lot to work with there. I'm just, I'm very optimistic as far as, as Gray, especially with the safeties. The, the the Vikings never really had very good corners. They were actually pretty disappointing, which makes me nervous because they had a lot of first round. Basically all their corners were first and second round guys, similar to the Packers, and none of them produced. But the safeties were just elite. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Raven Green notes. I mentioned he was having kind of a rough day, but Raven Green ends red zone period with a leaping pass breakup on a deep shot from Love. So at least he's making uh, plays with 13. Mike Pettin on Raven Green quote: "His versatility and explosiveness is something that we've missed. We're looking to forward to take. We're looking forward to taking advantage of it this year." As I get into hour four, the brain is melting. And then finally, similar note, but Pettin on losing Raven Green quote: "It was tough. He's a versatile player. He was going to be a big part of what we were doing. That's just that's Pettin's thing. Um, as a hybrid linebacker, safety type, versatility, explosiveness. He looks good, smart, tough, able to pick up things quickly, expect big things. So we know Pettin's a big Raven Green guy, right? We I mentioned this, I think, you know, not yesterday, but two days ago, when we had Josh Jackson, who was the guy. He, we drafted him in the second round to be the safety-slash-linebacker guy. He never got a shot. Pettin just said, nope, Raven Green's my guy, end of story. Now, it is worth worth considering um, as far as the draft next year, the Packers may be looking to draft that type of a player. It's entirely possible that Raven Green, although he does like him, is not exactly optimal, and that it's just a really critical position that he liked Raven Green more than Jackson and just never really liked Jack. Something to consider. We'll see how Raven Green performs, but I, I, I do think this is a really big part of what, as little emphasis as he seems to want to put in linebackers, he seems to put all the more emphasis on the linebacker slash safety the the nickel linebacker or whatever you want to call him the dime backer i don't care what the name is we'll see uh vernon scott had one note good coverage on jake sternberger jace sternberger learned to speak and then finally deshaun amos quote love delivers anyway this is you know second half of a tweet so that doesn't make sense to reggie bagleton but deshaun amos with great coverage and a pass breakup finally 
special teams, an hour and 17 minutes in. Um, some general special teams notes from Mr. Sean Menenga. First of all, tweet says, Packers special teams coordinator Sean Menenga with a great point on value of practicing teams inside of Lambeau Field. Quote, I just think the wins. When you're outside, it's hard to judge those wins. So, in other words, it makes sense to practice in Lambeau Field because that's where we're playing, and some of these elements can't really be le- replicated outside of Lambeau Field. It makes a lot of sense, and probably as much as you can, it, it kind of makes sense to just practice on the field you're going to be playing on. Obviously, you don't want to just tear up your field before you have to play on it, but if you have the opportunity, I don't see why you wouldn't take advantage of it. Just because you have a practice field doesn't mean you should use it if you know, unless you have to. Uh, Menenga said he basically rebuilding the foundation on special teams, again, that makes me nervous, and isn't assuming the team will avoid penalties the way it did last year, still working on limiting those. Penalties were a massive problem for the Packers, have been for a while on special teams. Obviously, special teams wasn't great last year. Um, You know, again, Menenga kind of just recognized, well, that was trash, let's tear it down and rebuild it, which again, makes me nervous. Uh, Sean Menenga challenging his guys, quote, we weren't good enough last year. I think we've established a better culture here and guys are hungry, which... Kind of throwaway, but cool. And then my favorite quote, Menenga on how he wants Packers special teams to play. Quote, one of our mottos is penalty-free aggression. It's our goal to be penalty-free, but still play fast and physical. We try to establish that each year. Which immediately, when I heard penalty-free aggression, I thought of carb-free pizza. It's not impossible, but it's going to taste terrible. There's aggression, and then there's penalty-free aggression, which is somewhat of an oxymoron. Anyways, finally, uh, I've said finally like nine times, but getting to the players now. Uh, Mason Crosby, on a pretty breezy day, Crosby ends the second two-minute drill with a good field goal. Now, whatever that means, practice good from 33, 40, 45, and 50. So he's four for four on the day. And then J.K. Scott, who we haven't had any notes from, um, I don't know if he just hasn't been punting. That was actually a really fun thing when they used to gauge hang time and all that stuff. But uh, Scott averages 47.9 and five or four. Oh, wow, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Four, five, four hang time on 11 punts, according to my thumb. So whoever that was, props. Usually they they itemize it and list it all out, but apparently they didn't feel like doing that, which is unfortunate. But 47.9 average is absolutely fantastic. He averaged last year 43.9, so that's obviously quite a bit. Um, higher than his average on the season. His average hang time was 4.42, so a 4.54 would also be an improvement on hang time. So improving the length of the kicks, the distance of the kicks, as well as your hang time on 11 punts, which is not, you know, it's not, we're not talking about two punts. He did 11 punts and uh, massively upgraded his um, performance from last season. In fact, uh, the 4.54 average was actually would have beat out every single punter last year. The only person that did better than that was quarterback Corey Bajorquez, who must have come in for Buffalo um, as their punter for some reason. I mean, he did, he punted 79 times, but he averaged 4.54 was exactly it. So that's, he is, on those 11 punts, tied the hang time of the highest hang time of anybody last year. And then uh, 47.9 average would have beat out everybody with the exception of Washington punter Tress Way at 49.6 yards per attempt. Which is great, but Tressway's average hang time was 4.36, so he's just banging live line drives, basically. So those two things combined, and I don't necessarily expect him to maintain that, but if he did for the season, by far he'd be the best punter in the NFL, and it really wouldn't even be very close. And really, J.K. Scott was the second highest graded punter in 2019 anyways. I mean, it, I don't know. It's another guy that I really love. I'm, I'm a huge... I, I was probably the only person that was excited we drafted a punter. Have been a huge J.K. Scott fan ever, ever since. I don't think he's... He's another guy that, that's done a decent job but still hasn't met his potential. He's got a lot more leg than we've seen. He's had some some kind of rough 
punts and whatnot. But, you know, the stuff that he did back in Alabama was just absolutely absurd. I mean, even in practice, we've seen it on occasion, and I don't expect him to do it every time, but I'm talking about, like, 49-yard punts with five-second hang time, like, in one punt. I, I mean, that's that's absurd, and he has that level of potential. So, I'm, I mean, I mean, we you, you don't draft punters, and when you do, it's for the reason that he's just a unique, rare kind of a person, and, I'm, and hopefully he can maintain But even not, again, second-best punter in football, what are you going to cry about it? But anyways, that's it. Hour and uh, about hour and a half, almost in. We can uh, probably go ahead and wrap this up. I guess probably shouldn't have taken so long because I have a lot to do. But that's all right. You're welcome for the three of you that have hung on this long. Um, again, please check out Pack Daddy NFL. I'm going to be doing this again. And if you have any interest whatsoever in checking out uh, the college football season, if you want a primer, it's going to be a really, really good. It's 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 fun for me to be able to do this because I need to know these guys. Uh, and so we'll kind of go through it together again, just doing top tens for every single position group for fun. I could even do special teams. Let me look that up. Nobody's doing special teams. I'll be the only one. I can look at fullbacks. I can look at punters and kickers. I mean, I don't have like a top 10 list I could use, but I do. I have best punter in 2019, Sterling Hoffrichter, Syracuse, 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 Syrup, highest graded um, field goal kicker, Samuel Sloman out of Miami, Ohio. 34 of 34 on extra point, 4 of 5 on 50-plus yard field goal. Anyways, I'm just, again, just having a hangout session at the end. <laughs> Impromptu. I'm excited about that. I might I might have to do that as a bonus, do a special team. I could do return guys. Jamal Parker out of Kent State for kick returns. Avery Williams out of Boise State for punt returns. Come on now. Come on now. Actually, some of these guys might already be drafted. I forgot to change it. Some of these are from last year, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, just 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 thinking out loud here. But anyways, yeah, check out Pack Daddy NFL. Otherwise, I will talk to you on Monday. What are we doing? I'm not sure, but we'll do something. We'll figure it out. You have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Bye.